she does the dishes. <laughs> if you cook, you should not have to do the dishes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. And boy, do we love this episode. Yeah, I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. And oh, boy, this is one of those episodes that has the stereotypical crazy murder methods that Midsummer's known for. Yep. So this is our episode 41, Hidden Depths, season eight, episode six. And just a reminder, if you let your kids watch this show, watch the show and let them use the catapult, they should be able to listen to the podcast. Don't give them the wine, though. That's don't give them good. the wine. And no. don't let them start taking apart TVs to play fun games with each other. This is another episode where nobody has any children. No, they don't. You're right. Nope. And psychopaths. Psycho. Looney McToonies. All right. Off the top, you want to talk about the Global Top 50, though. Yes. So the Global Top 50 dropped another five episodes this week. 34 is Orcus Fatalis. We know all about that one. Oh, boy. Do we ever? We did that episode and oh, we got secrets coming. Yeah. Yep. Vixen's Run is season nine, episode three. That's number 33. That's with Mr. Toad mm-hmm. and all his wives. Yeah, that one's coming that's up. Fin- I, li- I really like that episode, I do, too. too. It's fun. Garden of Death, season four, episode one, with uh, the second Barnaby as the gardener and his hooch. Yeah. <laughs> and he inherits everything. Was it Scumble? No. Scrumpy. Scrumpy. That's, that's the episode where we started what happens after the credits because he inherits yeah. everything. <laughs> Fisher King, uh, season seven, episode three, crazy young Sherlock Holmes. And then uh, number 30, probably the highest episode for one of the newer episodes of Midsummer. I'm predicting number 30 is the miniature murders season 21, episode two, which is a tie in to this episode. Yeah, it is. Mrs. Beauvoisin. Yes. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute, isn't she dead? And you reminded me, no, 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 no. She's dead in that. Future episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's dead in 13 seasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she just keeps coming back. Every once in a while, I'm like, oh, you know, doing a recap podcast, you're going to run into a time where you don't have any material. And I'm like, we're not even we're not even close to being halfway through yet. I'd like to know if there's some advantage to the writers or producers to bring characters like her and Jocelyn, the attorney back, like if it's cost efficient to have the same actor come back instead of creating a new character, or if those actors have a kind of contract that means that they can come back and play little bit parts or something there. Or it could be, we need a guy and we know this guy shows up on time and knows his lines. Right. So he's our guy. Yeah. And everybody liked him last time, liked her last time she was in the episode. So yeah. 
Who knows? And she can say Beauvoisin. And well, though she doesn't in this episode. No. But the other thing is, we don't know who these people are related to. Like, in, <laughs> not related to, but like uh, this director always uses this guy. You right. Know, could for like those sort of family trees of production or are or their agent. Yeah. Somebody who's really easy to work with or are at work yeah. in the background. And we also also, you know, we question things like this all the time. But like maybe in other episodes where there's estate agents, Bavoisin was busy doing other things. Right. Like, she could like, be the preeminent estate agent in Midsummer. The <laughs> the six actors that are in England are are busy all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is Episode 41, filmed in November or December 2004, and it apparently was quite cold in England that, that winter. I can understand that. You can tell in the scene with the catapult, there you can see their breath. I mean, it's definitely cold. And yes. And filming at nights. I'm, I'm sure you all different. know this episode, but it's so fun to say that in a podcast. In the scene with the catapult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a murder weapon. Yeah. Broadcast the 13th of March, 2005, 8.856 million views. Directed by Sarah Hellings and written by David Hoskins. And David Hoskins writes a bunch of the episodes. He wrote Animal Within. He wrote another couple of things, including uh, Last Year's Model. He, he likes writing Midsummer, right? He also wrote Destroying Angel, the one with the... Uh, mushrooms. The mushrooms and the uh, Punch of Judy weirdness that seems like a million episodes ago for us (laughs) (laughs) so this episode is basically a story of four couples two couples no oh four couples four couples so we have steve and sarah hope who are the groundskeeper and maid for was it sanford sanford house is that right sanford house yeah where where two of the couples live I, i love the hopes I do. They're I like, love, we didn't do anything I wrong. I love Sarah and I love Steven. They show up at the appropriate times. They're funny and goofy and they have personality. And yet they're also providing explanations of things really well. And I like them. So that's our first couple. Then we have two couples who live in the house. We have- oh, and a midsummer couple who get along very well or are happy. Yes, because Steve and Sarah do seem to get along. Yeah. Um, we have the Turners. Felicity and Nick, who are the killers, by the way. Yes. And completely bonkers. Yes. And then we have Antonia and Jack Wilmot, who live in the house. Yes. And Jack is the first victim. Jack's the first victim, though we don't know that till the very end. And Antonio is our, she is the stand-in for the audience. Yeah. Where, where's my husband? What's going on? I don't know what's happening. Like she, she's that trope of the stand-in for the audience. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Benhams, Otto and Bernie Benham. Yes, he's the one who gets killed by the catapult. Yes, and I love Bernie. <laughs> we all love Bernie. Bernie's great. So we have those those four couples, and then we've got a few kind of extra people. We've got Mike Spicer, mm-hmm. who is also a victim. Um, he's the one who's killed by the TV. Yes, um, and. Jane, who lives in the gatehouse. The delicious Jane. Jane Hampton is her name. Otto calls her delicious. And uh, she's sickening. Fairly unimportant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Jane is good for one thing. 
She opens the door to the wine cellar. <laughs> yes, she lets him out of the wine cellar. Well, and she also overhears Felicity on the phone being happy. So but they, it, it raises our suspicion. But we still would have got there. Yeah, but it's kind of a little hint to the audience that there's something more there. So we get to feel like we know something. But if Barnaby and Scott and Antonio were still in the cellar, well. It's Antonia. Antonia. If you keep calling her Antonio, people are going to think Banderas I, is I in keep the cellar call, with them. I keep calling her Lady Felicia. Because <laughs> so, that's what a part she plays on Father, Father Brown. Brown. Yeah. So. All right. So we've got three couples who basically live in the house. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the hopes live in a cottage on the grounds. Yes. It's kind of surprising to me that they can make their livelihood just from taking care of this house, that two salaries are paid. Now they may get their cottage for free too. The grounds are pretty big. They are, but still, I mean. But that bench doesn't need the work that he's putting into it. <laughs> That's a, a lot of money being yeah. paid being paid towards them. Well, he also takes care of the cricket ground, remember. That's true. So maybe he makes a little money on the side. Yeah. And she might clean other houses. I don't she know. She might. So so they're the caretakers, right? Um, and we start with a bunch of Steve ass. <laughs> yes. It's a big old close-up of Steve's ass. And he's got jeans on that only have one back pocket. Yeah, that was they're weird. Like, they're like mom jeans. And she takes a big old hand of mom jean ass. <laughs> it's fun. They do like each other. Yeah. That's nice. Antonia they, and The Felicia. dialogue between them is really good there. Yeah. I, I like it. I think so too. Yep. Antonia and Felicity are having coffee. We're to understand that one of them lives on the second floor. One of them lives on the first floor or ground no. floor and first floor. Sorry. No, no. Okay. The, the Felicity and Jack. And sorry, Felicity and Nick live on the third floor. Okay. They live upstairs. Yeah. Antonia and Nick live on the ground floor. Yes. Who lives on the middle floor? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not crazy that, that I don't know. No. Okay. No, I don't. I think they might mention it in passing, but whoever it is, they're not there. Yeah. Right. Sucks to live on the third floor. You got to go up those stairs. Especially when she looks comely at you. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> yeah, Antonia seems like such a nice person, and her husband is a jerk in yeah. every way. Yeah. Not only does he take Jack for a whole bunch of money, but he's he flirts with everybody, apparently, and is willing to take Felicity up on an offer. Follows oh, yeah. her to the attic. We we uh, I talk about that in the after the credits, how uh, Antonia is left with disillusionment she's better off yeah she is so they're sitting there having their coffee and nick falls from the roof ah! splat slow motion steve <laughs> running across the ground yep now of course we find out later it's not really nick it's jack no it's antonia's husband who's actually dead yes but Felicity goes out, pushes her out of the way to get to her supposed husband first. Yeah. And then cradles him in her arms and gets blood all over herself. She would have more than blood on her. She'd have ba bits of brain. It, the idea that if your husband died like that, that you might sort of lose it for a minute and hold his dead body and not mind the blood. I, I accept that. But the fact that she does that to a body that is not her husband, she knows it's not her husband, but she does it to throw them off the scent. 
makes her even crazier. Well, craziness makes you a great actress. And then she sits there with the blood all over her face and her hands. Oh, yes. And gets it all over the mug that Sarah brings her for the tea. We're getting ahead of ourselves because we got a great scene in the crime thing here. So first of all, when Barnaby and Scott arrive, I immediately recognize the house. Right. So it's from the house from Judgment Day, Mm -hmm. which is named after Lothlorien, which is a... Tolkien thing. Right. Exact same house. Yes. So so there's that. And then Georgie's on on point here where he's like, it's a bit of a bad landing. <laughs> yeah, and somebody's put a blanket over the body that has just proceeded to soak up all the blood. And when then, they lift it up, it's like <laughs> then he, then he says that he has catastrophic head and spinal injuries. Something that should never describe another human being. Well, and when we see the murder reenacted later, they literally dropped him by his feet. Oh, and he hits the ledge. And his head bounces off a ledge. Yep. Uh, that's the kind of injuries that that would cause. Yep. <laughs> not jumping. If you jumped, it would not be like that. So I want to go to something as we get to each of these murders. There's a wiki for Midsummer Murders on uh, Wikia, mm-hmm. which is some it's a great resource. fandom. It's, yeah. Super resource. And I always go there to see who died. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, so I don't have to type it all out, right? Because I have a little listing of deaths at the start of my notes. And usually they're like, dude gets hit with shovel. Shot with rifle. Shot with rifle, yeah. right? But this episode, they outdid themselves. So this is not my writing. I, I don't know who did this, but it's... We'll put a link in the show notes. Yep. Yep. So Jack Wilmont... Lured to the attic of his house, knocked unconscious with a cricket bat, stripped and dressed on identical clothing that Nick would wear in the morning. Then he is gagged, tied up, knocked out again, and finally dropped from the roof headfirst onto a stone patio to make it appear Nick committed suicide. That is a beautiful description of what happens. Concise and correct. Yes. Splat. Splat. (laughs) My notes just say... George has a super bloody blanket. <laughs> I I have, there's blood everywhere. Everywhere. And when she has the blood all over her, just a little thing, um, she's totally out of focus. She keeps going in and out of focus. Somebody was screwing with the light, the lens there. So they all live in this house together and they live on separate floors and in flats. Yes. Right. Of this big country house. So no one owns the manor. Well, sort of. Sort okay. of. So it is owned. Explain this to me. Okay. Cause, so I, I needed to understand this because ha- having never lived in a big city, in a high rent place, I've never been able to wrap my brain around owning an apartment. Yeah. Like the fact that you would own part of a building, even semi-detached, I don't quite understand. Like if I own my house, I can knock that wall down. No, I can't because it's attached to my neighbor. Yeah. Just that idea. So when I lived in Toronto and worked in big buildings downtown in software, almost all my friends had condos mm-hmm. they owned. And they described it as that you own from the primer out. Yeah. Which I just can't. I, I have trouble wrapping my brain around that. Like I understand it as a concept, but why you would ever want to do that. But I realize that there are places where you don't have a choice, right? If you're going to 
own something, get on the property ladder, not just rent. That's yeah. that's what's available to you. You live in London. Yeah. You're not going to have a freestanding house unless you're a bazillionaire. Yeah. Right. Um. So Peter Blagden, who we will. No, I'm sorry. Anthony Blagden. So he's the money brother. Yes. Who we never see. We never see either of them except for one picture. Right. But he has the freehold on the house. Mm hmm which means he owns the land okay. and the buildings. Okay. Okay. So we are freeholders of our home. Okay. We own the land and the sky above it and the land below it. Okay. Right. So if I want to dig a 40 foot hole, I can do that. You can, if you want to put up a big tower, you can, right? Excellent. So a freeholder we're familiar with. But what they are, the Turners and the Wilmots, are leaseholders. Okay. But they're not renters. Okay. okay? A leasehold in the UK and most of the EU means that you only own part of the building. Okay. So they own the rooms within their flats. So the primer out. Yeah. But those leaseholds, you can get a mortgage on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you get a mortgage, but the leasehold can be anywhere from 90 years to 999 years. Wow. So the freeholder gives somebody a leasehold, says, I'm going to sell you part of this building, but only for a limited time. Okay. For say 150 years, it's yours. You pay off your mortgage. It's still yours until the end of that leasehold. Okay. And at the end of the leasehold, it might be able to be renewed or lengthened or renegotiated. But even if you've paid off your mortgage in full, when the leasehold expires, the property goes back to the freeholder. Oh, so how you to screw your grandchildren one foul swoop. You could own it for 80 years, mortgage free, if you paid it off. And at the end of that 80 years, you will have nothing to show for it. And the landowner has got to be like, yeah, that lease is up. No, these contracts are like set in stone. No, no, but like after 80 years, they're like, yeah, I haven't been making any money from this property. So, so leaseholders also agree to pay like what we would call like an HOA fee, like a homeowners association fee. Okay, yeah. That's like maybe 10% of the price of the property, but it's broken into smaller payments. And you pay that as maintenance on the building as a whole and on the grounds. And that's what Steve and Sarah are probably paid from. Paid they, from they're that, probably like paid, a trust or something. Yeah, from yeah. A, some kind of trust based on those fees. But it just blows my mind that you might pay for something for 30 years. Not own it. And not own it. Yep. So I looked online and I did find one such property that is in Oxfordshire. Yep. It is not, it, it's a bit fancier than the properties that we see in this episode. Okay. In that the home itself looks a bit older and there's a bit more amenities as far as I know to the grounds. Yeah. But it was like 3.2 million pounds and advertised That's a chunk of change. that the leasehold was 95 years, 95 years. So if I, let's say I sign a leasehold for 150 years, I pay off my mortgage and I decide to sell and I sell to you and it's only got, I don't know, let's say I live to be a ripe old age and it's got 80 years left on the leasehold. Yeah. You may not be able to get a mortgage. Oh, because 80 years on the leasehold is too little 
for a mortgage broker to think it's worth it. That's crazy. And if the leasehold were to run out, the freeholder basically gets to sell that same property all over again for full price. Nice. I looked and looked for like, what are the advantages of a leasehold? And other than it's cheaper than buying a freehold, I couldn't find anything. <laughs> you think <that> <laughs> like you're not responsible for the maintenance of the entire building. But oftentimes, if something needs to be done, the freeholder will turn to the leaseholder and say, I need you to increase your monthly payment so that we can cover the new roof or whatever. Now, yeah. And they have to do it. So- if they don't pay it, they can take back the entire property. So you can pay $2 million for a flat, refuse to play, pay two grand for a roof, and they can just end the lease because you're refusing to pay. Guy jumps off a roof, dead body, dead wife, blood everywhere. Talk to the wife. What's the next place you go to? His bank. Of course. What, why? Because maybe he was in money trouble. Why would he commit suicide, right? Luckily, Mr. That's the only reason men commit suicide, honey, is if they're in debt. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. It only ha- that's the only reason, right? Okay. I mean, they might not be depressed or, you know, have some kind of other mental challenge that they're dealing with. It, well, it, they're just in debt. So I'm telling you, you I'm not depressed because Mr. Perkins is here. And I love Mr. Perkins. He looks like Mr. Bean. Yes. He looks like Rowan Atkinson. He's, he's just fun. He delivers his lines and such a He even a has fun. a pub quiz team. He does. And he says he was an excellent Uh, The way he tells the story about Nick's parents, who must be Felicity's parents, because he says... in-laws. Yeah, he says it's his in-laws, but they're never, ever referred to as Felicity's parents. No, but they're they're his in-laws, that he's gone deep into debt to maintain them and to help them get the best medical care at the end of their lives, and they lingered. very generous. They lingered, so, you know. But this is what the NHS was for. So this is, of course, above and beyond NHS. Right. right? It's private. Like it's private care. Yeah. So Richie Rich. And I joke about the NHS. It's wonderful. Yes. I wish we had that system. I'm telling you, moving from a country that has universal health care to moving with to one without universal health care. I've been here 21 years. I've been here. It's still weird to me. Yeah. But I also know, as good as that system is, that if you have the money, you can pay for preferences. Yes. You know, I, wanna, I want my relative to go into this retirement home rather than that one, or sooner rather than be on a list, or, you know, whatever that yeah. inconvenience is. Otto Benin has been casping, casting aspersions. Otto is... Unlikable? Yes. That's a good way to put it. He's horrible. <laughs> I would not want him to be my lawyer. I I wouldn't want him to live in the same county. I wouldn't want him to be my neighbor. I certainly wouldn't want to be married to him. No. I certainly would not want to be his friend. Antonio, Antonia's husband has not returned. Antonia Banderas. And she's so (laughs) upset she's lying on the floor about it. Oh, there's a fire. I guess. Guess? She just saw a guy die and now her husband's gone. Yeah, I could see why she'd be upset. What does she do for a living? Nothing. Must be nice. There's a big thread on the subreddit right now about whether Joyce has ever had a job. Yes. Yes. There is a quite a long thread. It's clear that the two of these two women are housewives. Yes. That's what they do. Yeah. And I, I love that Antonia says her husband leaves early and gets home early around 630. Yes. Like to me, early is I get home at five. 
Okay, so they go to the crown. Now, not the crown from the last episode, a completely different crown. Mm Because this crown has pub night on, pub quiz night on every Wednesday, and there's cash prizes. Yes. It's 8 p.m., and they are on question number 10. (laughs) I love that Scott just walks in and goes, end us. And they're like, oh. Does he not know what a pub quiz is? He would know what a pub quiz was. He would know what a pub quiz is. Even if he's from the big city, you know, the tough streets, he knows what a pub quiz is and not to walk in giving away answers, idiot. Well, maybe he spends more time with Zara. (laughs) (laughs) That whole storyline just... It makes him look like such a jerk. Okay, so... She's into him. Like, they make a date. Yeah, but then she changes her mind. Yeah. Okay. But this whole line that he feeds Tom about, you know, she's the quiet type and... Well, Tom's not buying that. Why does he even give that line to Tom? I don't know. To to excuse him hitting hitting on her while they're investigating? They don't know what to do with Scott. I guess not. And... Like, I don't know how they solved it with Troy, but they did. Yeah, it worked. Because Troy, Troy's my favorite, so. And Tom is clearly very comfortable in this pub because he knows Viv the bartender. Yes. So Viv the bartender. You have some interesting things about Viv, don't you? Oh, just the one okay. that he played um, Corrin Halfhand in Game of Thrones. Okay. If you watched Game of Thrones... Uh, in the, the season when Jon Snow first goes over the wall and is off to befriend the wildlings to convince them to come and fight, they make him prove his loyalty to the wildlings by having him fight another member of the Night's Watch, and Corrin Halfhand is who he fights. Okay. And kills. Yes. So Jack is on their, on the team with Otto and Mike, and they're called Chateau Lafitte. Yes. And he's their sports expert. They seem like no fun at all. No, but they're highly competitive. And they do such a good job of comparing the two of them sitting there with everybody else who's there, obviously, to have a good time. Oh, my God. They're sitting up straight. They're critiquing the wine. This isn't doing it. I thought it would grow on me, but it's not. Oliver Ford Davies plays Otto Mm -hmm. and Robert Dawes plays Mike Spicer. And they had a ball in this episode. (laughs) They overact, they like, I'm sure the director was like, you're not overacting enough. Yeah. Be more reprehensible. Yeah. And they were like, <laughs> okay, I can do that. Because I've seen them both do other things. Oh, yeah. Right? So. Oliver Ford Davies, who plays Otto, he's also, um, uh, he plays CO Bibble in Star Wars. He's the governor of Naboo. Yes. I mean, yes, he's he been is. in lots of things. Yes. And Robert Dawes, who plays Mike Spicer. He's also in, um, he's in a later episode of Midsummer, The Curse of the Ninth. But my favorite role of his, besides this one, is he plays Tuppy in Jeeves and Wooster. Yes. And. Uh, now that's not the newt guy. No, no, that's not the newt guy. Uh, Tuppy's the one who's constantly getting engaged to girls that he doesn't really like. Yes. And they have to help him out. But Robert Dawes has also written five detective novels. Oh, cool. And they're all based in Gibraltar. Oh. With a female detective who's on assignment in Gibraltar. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's very cool. I wonder, uh, have you listened to any of those? No, I haven't. Because I didn't know about them until I did the research for this episode. We'll have to pick those up, and I'll put those in the show notes, too. The same time that he films Midsummer, he's playing Dr. Gordon uh, Ormerod in The Royal, which is the role he's best known for. Yes. Um, 
he plays that role from 2003 to 2011. And that's about the Royal Hospital. Yes. In, in yeah. During Victorian times. Yeah. So is the Elephant Man in that? I don't know. It would be the right time. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, he's in 86 episodes of that show. Oh, wow. So they must have done this in the off season of that. Yes. He, I mean, he's in, he's a main character. He's in every episode. So. Yes. Pub quizzes. We long for pub quiz. Mm. We do. We do. We wish there was, well, we wish we could go outside to a before, pub. Before COVID-19, <laughs> at least a couple times a month, we both said, wish we had a good pub. That's the downside of living in a college town is all the bars are really geared towards college kids. Yeah. And I have a good friend who I play board games with on a weekly basis who doesn't like trivia. He doesn't like trivia games at all. <laughs> he hates them immensely. And I'm really good at trivia games. I think it's secretly that he doesn't want to lose to me. <laughs> or not be able to contribute to a team. Yeah. To actually have something of value to contribute. I don't yes. Know. So. When do you think pub quizzes were made a thing? When do you think they were sort of invented? Okay. Well, public houses are a lot older than we think. Right. Right. Um, now, quiz is an idea that comes from, so there's a, an apocrypha story that the word quiz is from a Scottish bet. I don't know if it's apocrypha or not, but. It's a reference to quizzling, meaning something, un, somebody unimportant. Yes. Um, and that, and that, if I remember the etymology was in Scotland in the 1850s, but I would think pub quiz might be older than that. Really? Yeah. Okay, they, they were really invented in the 1970s? Okay, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to remember, pub quiz can't exist. Trivia can't exist until you've got most people educated. Most people educated and most people free time to learn, free time. learn like, like irrelevant things. Yes, yes. So they were really um, uh, invented by a company, a brewery called Burns and Porter, okay. who had tons and tons of pubs in the UK um, in the 1970s as a way to get people in on quieter nights of the week. Well, that is completely understandable. Because they had much less God business. God forbid at nine o'clock, they shut the pub down. <laughs> on a Wednesday. <laughs> Last call. It's eight o'clock. Time to go to bed, people. The first time I was in England, they called Last Call and I was like... I, I just got here. <laughs> yeah. And within just a few years, they had around 10,000 teams. Nice. Playing in their, and they, I mean, but this is a big franchise of pubs, right? All over the place. And there is a number of these in pop culture. There's even shows based around pub team, pub quiz teams. So typically pubs were owned by a brewery. Yes. Right. As a way to distribute their beer. Yes. And so the breweries would own tons of pubs and they would come up with marketing schemes for all of their pubs to increase business, get new people in. Yes. Um, some better than others. Like quiz night is actually a pretty smart idea to get more business in on nights when they would be quiet. quiet. Yeah. If, if, if you're interested in funny stories about crazy marketing schemes for pubs, I highly suggest that you read or listen to the Robert Rankin um, series, R-A-N-K-I-N, called the Brentford Trilogy. I'll put a link to this. We, we both have read these books. They are hilarious. Numerous times. Yes. But they're about a little village like this that has a pub. <laughs> the manager of the pub, yeah, he has to go along with all these crazy um, marketing schemes. The barbecue is the best one. Yeah. But these books are incredibly funny. They're very British. And they're very British, <laughs> but they're also like 
supernatural, right? Oh, yeah. There's demons <laughs> and all sorts of crazy stuff in them. And two dudes who, you know, just want to read the paper and, and have a beer end well, up they tied into everything. They don't want to do anything else. They don't want to spend any money. No. They, don't want to, they are. They have their allotment and the pub and they're happy. Yeah. <laughs> They are park life personified. Looking into pub quizzes, I thought, you know, I know that most pubs are closed. Even as places start to reopen, yep. pubs are going to be difficult businesses to reopen because of social distancing. And so, of course, a lot of pub quizzes have gone online. These breweries have got smart and they're offering their pub quizzes virtually, Okay, you know, to keep people engaged. So when this is all over, they'll come back to the pub. Well, it's serious business for some people. Oh, yeah. Well, some of the... Because pub- each team pays to be part of the pub quiz, to, and then they get a, a fraction of that as a prize. Yeah. So in the magazine, they talked about one pub quiz, you can win 500 bucks a week, 500 pounds a week. That's a serious pub quiz. Yeah, it is. And then another one, you get five bottles of wine if you win. Wow. I'm like... I need to get on a pub quiz, team because <laughs> my brain is full of useless information. Well, there's a virtual pub quiz going on right now that um, I I really think people should check out. It's called Jay's Virtual Pub Quiz. Okay. Um, we'll post a link to it. Uh, they've raised 93,000 pounds so far for the NHS. Wow. Anything to help with the NHS. Yeah. The guy who started it set out to raise 15 grand, and he's now raised 93,000 pounds. And Stephen Fry even guest hosted one night to raise money for Alzheimer's research. That's fantastic. Um, But when I looked at the times for people in the U.S., it's a bit difficult. So on Thursday and Saturday night, they stream, um, because it's live, right? They stream at 1950 BST, which is 2.50 in the afternoon, our time, EST. That's not too bad. But they also have specialist rounds um, nearly every day of the week Okay, that are at 1030 BST, which is 530 in the morning for us. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but the specialist rounds look interesting. They're like literature, TV shows, oh, 80s music. I should look into that. They'd be really fun if you're willing to get up at 530 yeah. in the morning. Well, I get up at 530. Anyway. <laughs> but we're going to post a list of yeah. these um these great fundraising pub quizzes in the in the UK, and I also found a great list of those in the US. They're not as charity oriented, but they're also not as prize oriented either. So, yep. But Speak, if you're interested, speaking of charities, the uh, Lovejoy Actually podcast met their goal for their charity for raising money for the hospice. Woo-hoo, you Woo-hoo. go, ladies. Yes, you're awesome. So Mike and Otto are snobby and competitive. Yep. Jane lives in the gatehouse and it's unimportant. The delicious Jane. Antonia hears the noise in the basement. Yep. And then we get to go to Otto's house. Otto's house is just so awesome. He's got a chariot. Parked by the chariot. He's an amateur archaeologist. I guess. Or is he just into Roman history? Gentleman archaeologist thing again. He's really into Roman Britain. It all looks like cheap schlock. Yeah. It's it's all recreations. And like she says. Well, yeah, if you had a, a period amphora. From Roman Britain, you wouldn't keep it in your yard. Otto says, uh, so Bernie says that he has like a museum. So I bet you he has coins and stuff like in Yeah, and we don't and, see inside of it, but we see that it's like in the garden, right? Yeah. And between the garden and the house is his, his, his uh, croquet pitch. Don't drive on it, lady. He's so mean to Bernie. She's in a <sighs> wheelchair because she's paralyzed from a horse accident. Yep. Horse riding accident. And he's like, well, it'd be different if she was, uh, you know, on her feet in some soft-soled shoes, but 
I just, I just want to go, just ram him. Just <laughs> ram him with your car, with your wheelchair. Just hit him. You know, the people who kill people in this episode are insane. They're serial killers. Okay. But it's not as upsetting to me as the fact that she makes him dinner and then does the dishes and he just goes and smokes a cigar. That I become apoplectic. Doesn't even say thank you. No. Nothing. She does the dishes. <laughs> if you cook, you should not have to do the dishes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So Otto's an asshole to Bernie. Yeah. We know that. He drinks in the morning. Yes. When Tom and Scott come by to talk to him, it's still misty outside. It is early. Well, Antonia wakes up Jane at five minutes, six minutes after seven. Oh my gosh. It's so incredibly early. Is that the first time we see the coat? I think so. She has a beautiful robe. Yes. Like iridescent the, the robe silk. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. The the bedspread is a little jangly. It's a little pier one. Yeah. It's got sequins on it. Uh, I couldn't use it. But the first time the coat. Ooh. Once she puts the coat on, her wardrobe goes downhill from there. It's it, And it, Nancy Carroll is beautiful. She plays Antonia. Yeah. You call her Lady Felicia. Yeah. But she's in another one, right? She's in the screamy, screamy. The great and the good where she plays the teacher who's screaming from her second floor. But from that moment on, not only does she have that coat on, but then she has the sweater. So the coat is an ankle length coat. Both of them look like clothes designed by children's drawings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's. I think it's meant to be very expensive. It has, I think, what is supposed to be faux fur on the collar that is green. It looks like grass. It's green. Grass. But the outside is like a suede. Yes. And then you see the back. Ugh. Where it's got like an exposed seam that's showing that fur from the inside out on the outside. But then they've just taken some like rawhide straps and like sewn X's across it. It's a, probably a very expensive coat. It's hideously ugly. It's hideously priced. Yeah. And so it's allowed to be ugly because it's expensive. Then she has the sweater, which looks like somebody took five fairly good sweaters, chopped them up, sewed them back together again. and With then a put, pirate shirt. And then put super flouncy lacy sleeves on it. It's a pirate shirt. I don't understand that. Yeah. I, I upcycle. Yep. I have taken garments apart and sewn them together yep. to make new garments. Yep. Not like that. Oh, the coat. After autos, they go to Mike Spicer's. His entire life is obnoxious. Yes. Everything about him is obnoxious. From his jewelry to his house, even his cordless phone is obnoxious. So he has a little shrine, which has his broadcast award, and a picture of him with girls in bikinis. (laughs) This is what he chooses to put up. And a giant picture of his own face. He has two giant pictures of his own face. He's reading the stage paper. There's a giant star with the logo from his show on it. Yeah, but the logo looks like it was printed on somebody's printer. Yeah, it totally And was like printed. taped to it. Yep. Well, they use the same. I'm pretty sure they use the same paper later on. When it's, they not, it's not like from the set. No. Because he used to be a game show host, right? Yep. Quiz of Your Life? Is that what it was called? Uh, it was called Game of Your game Life. Game of Your Life. The same picture of the girls in the bikinis is on the wall. So he has this picture twice. It's the exact same picture. 
He's in every picture. Yep. In his house. He's in every picture of his house. He's got Sun, TV Guide, and TV Times. And it's been renewed for a number of seasons, it says on one of the... I love the cab driver who takes Otto and Mike home after the pub night, after the quiz. He says, hey, weren't you the host of that show? And he's like, yeah, a game of your life. And the cab driver's like, oh, it was awful. Yeah. (laughs) So the worst thing that happens with Mike before he dies is he's watching a video, right? He's reliving the good moments of his life. And this video is supposedly of Diana. Princess Diana. And he makes her laugh. There's there's a showgirl. I have no idea what this event is, but like there's a Vegas type showgirl. Yeah. Um, and she also appears in the pictures. A, a guy named Raymond Voss is the theater owner. He shows up in the pictures. And some guy with a dummy. Also, like a ventriloquist? Yes. He also shows up in the pictures. So they they stage this event with a Diana lookalike. Yes. And they Her took name's like Vicky. Something. Yeah. They take a bunch of pictures and then they put those pictures on his wall. And on a VHS tape that he gets to watch over and over again. Yes. He acts like he's hard up for money because he has all these ex-wives he's paying alimony for. He drinks really good wine. He has a beautiful house. It's poorly decorated, but it's gorgeous. A super expensive car. A Rolls. And that cell phone with its multicolors, the the cordless phone, (laughs) could not have come cheap. And the crazy penguin. But we'll get to the penguin when we get to the murder. (laughs) But whoever did the set dressing here drove it home that he is obnoxious and self-centered and washed up. So we hear about these guys who own the house and don't own the house. And he has a brother. It's all the Blagdens. The Blagdens. It's all this stuff in the background. But it's an excuse to go see Olive. Ms. Beauvoisin. Who does nothing but just give us information. It's beautiful. Yeah. Basically says... Well, the brother who owns the place never comes around and hates the other brother. And we don't know anything about him. But Jane does say that she saw Peter Blagden meet with Jack. And that was a different guy. Or did he meet with Nick? I think he met with Nick. Get them so confused. The Blagdens in here are a detail that doesn't need to be there. Except that they actually own... The estate. So the yes. wine that is the center of everything belongs to Anthony Blagden. So the imaginary wine. Right. No wine actually exists. Right. Had there been wine, it would have belonged to Anthony Blagden. Why his brother thinks that he can sell it. I don't know. You know, that he would have the right to take money for the wine that it. doesn't exist. Yeah. Like there's all sorts of problems with the wine bit. Bertie makes dinner, cutting up the little vegetables. Don't forget, Nick stole 150 grand from accounts. But we don't know why. Not at this point. We do find out why. Because all we hear before this is that Jack is sleazy and that Nick is a nice guy who takes care of his parents. Yeah. His wife's parents. But now he's embezzled 150 grand to invest in this wine deal. Yes. Okay. We have a great marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. If I invested $15 in a scheme, I would tell you about it. My friend John, he's got a scheme. He wants $15. I'm going to give it to him. $150,000? I think I'd have a conversation with you. These two couples are right out of the 50s. Yeah. 
the idea that the man goes away and earns the money and doesn't talk to his wife about their finances. No. That she just doesn't know anything about their money. And he just gives her an allowance to go and buy ugly coats. Yes. And she's not involved in any of it. There's been a crime. And the crime is the white line marker from the cricket pavilion has been stolen. Steve's upset. Steve is upset. Somebody took my white line machine. Like, okay, Steve, calm calm your tits. It's okay. (laughs) It's not important. People are getting killed. Okay. Well, Otto's being killed. So his his sherry or his brandy or whatever it is gets drugged. If you notice, Bertie's drinking water. Yeah. She's not resorted to alcoholism to deal with his ass. Yeah. And he's in the study smoking a cigar. Meanwhile, there's a crew outside. They apparently stole more than just the white line machine from the cricket pavilion. They must have stolen the night lights. Those lights require a generator. They're like, yeah. (laughs) So let's let's just go over what we have. We have the white line marker, Mm -hmm. the catapult, Mm -hmm. all the wine, Mm -hmm. because the wine has to get there, too. Yes. The four lights. Yes. The generator for the lights. Yes. The cricket. Uh, wickets. Yes. And the hammer. Yes. Okay. Okay. And Bernie has not oh, left tape. the house. Tape also. Yes. Tape. So this must have all been set up while she was in the house and didn't notice. Yes. Those lights would have <laughs> taken a truck. Yes. Somebody should have noticed the generator. I know. Sneaky, sneaky. Yes. <laughs> so Otto goes outside and falls inside the most perfectly drawn white circles ever. He does. You could not draw those white circles the way that he is shown drawing them. This is Nick, who is insane at this point. Yeah. So he's doing all this over $150,000. Yes. And this murder that happens that he's not going to get back requires an enormous amount of planning, right? Yeah. You got to rent the generator. You got to bring the lights. Or steal it. You got to bring the lights. Got to do all. He's got to bring all that wine, which means he needs a trailer. He's got a vehicle. No, no, the wine is all autos. So he gets it out of Otto's cellar. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and but puts still, it in the wheelbarrow. Like Otto doesn't does lock his cellar. <laughs> Otto doesn't notice any of this. What happens is Otto wakes up. He's incapacitated on the pitch, mm-hmm. and his limbs are pinned down with with. Uh, Cricket hoops. And he's been drugged. So we're going to give that, that, that's a, it's a bit of an iffy way to hold somebody down. You know, I thought that too. And then the closer I looked, I realized that the killer dented the top bar of the cricket hoops to make them tight. Yeah. They're very tight to him. I, I, I think they would have hurt him. But he would not have been able to get out if they were hammered in far enough. The, the, he certainly doesn't have the leverage that people think they do. No. Plus, he's been drugged. Yeah. So. And he's drunk. He's drunk. The killer then takes a catapult and throws wine at him. After duct taping Bernie to her wheelchair and positioning her in front of an upstairs window. Yes. At first, you're we like. We have to assume there's an elevator in the house. Yeah. And at first, you're like, oh, oh, Bernie's going to buy it. But no, no, no. Bernie's going to watch, and she says, five degrees to the left, which is one of the greatest Midsummer lines ever. Oh, that's not even her best line. Oh, I know. I like other lines that she says, too. Her best line is when she's talking to Tom and Scott about having to witness Otto be killed. And at first, she's like, oh, I think it was a punishment. 
you know, for being part of his life, his wicked life. But then she says that she saw his final, and I quote, shuddering squirts of agony. Yes. Which is my new favorite band name. Shuddering squirts of agony. (laughs) For all of Otto's badness, this is a horrific way to die. They don't really show his body. No, but this would be... A horrific way to die. First of all, you would be bludgeoned to death by the full bottles of wine. You'd be pummeled yeah. in your body, and yeah. I would guess that they would break on your head. Yeah, and and there there's got to be glass. It's yeah. just bad. Yeah, right. Clearly bad. This is what the wiki says. Otto Benin drugged wine, lured outside the house where he collapses in a white target that was drawn on the lawn and pinned to the ground with croquet hoops. He was woken up and slowly killed by having bottles of wine thrown at him with an antique catapult. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Murder poetry right there. Murder poetry. (laughs) So Otto's dead. They, they look in the safe and they realize, okay, he's into some kind of wine forfeiting, um, forgery scheme. Yes. Counterfeiting. Fake wine, wine labels. Yeah. So he's relabeling schlock and selling it at high prices somehow. Because if you do any investigation of wine or wine pricing or anything like that, it's all about provenance, Right. It has nothing to do with actual taste of the wine. There's been tons of scientific experiments where they have wine experts taste wine with regular people and they can't tell the difference. No, the provenance of the wine makes it taste different to you. Yes. And makes it more expensive, right? So wine is a a market that is ripe for forgery. Yeah. And there's a good documentary we'll have to link to about a guy who did just that. He did the crime that they... Yeah. Are, are pulling off. Not the whole invest and sell the seller, but the, the labels. Absolutely. Yes. So the postman finds Otto and his wife and she finally gets to drink, eat brown sauce. Yeah. We get another insight into how awful Otto was. He wouldn't even let her have brown sauce in the house. He was iffy. I don't know how she got it. Yeah. Did she call a neighbor and say, Psst, Otto's dead. Bring me the brown sauce. Maybe, maybe the postman brought the brown sauce. Or maybe she's got it like, like hidden, like she's got like a secret stash of brown sauce that she eats when he's not around. Maybe. What so, does brown sauce taste like? I don't know. I've is always, it like A1? Yeah, I think so. Or is it like gravy in it's a bottle? Like A1 gravy ketchup. Somebody's going to have to tell us what it tastes yeah. like. I've never had it. I've never had brown sauce. It's not my thing. Sorry. But you don't know. So you might love it. Birdie talks about <laughs> how awful their marriage was. Maybe we'll have to do a brown sauce taste test. Maybe. Because I think they sell it at Kroger now oh. in the British section. Okay. With the Tim Tams. Yep. And the PG Tips. Yep. <laughs> so Birdie talks about her marriage in pretty frank terms. Yeah. And this leaves Scott and Tom a little upset. <laughs> and Scott goes, who says marriage is dead? Yeah. <laughs> And they go back to the cop shop to do some research into the whole wine counterfeiting thing because they both admit they don't know much about it. And that scene is just brilliant. It the has, cop shop scene? Yes. First of all, I like Scott's acting in this. Mm-hmm. He does a good job. If they did more Scott stuff like this, I think he'd still be, a, well, he would have been around longer. He would have been a better character. Yeah. I think he, he left because he wanted to. Yeah. But the character would have been better yes. if they'd written more scenes like this for him. Absolutely. So 
On the whiteboard behind him, you have Midsummer Current Investigations whiteboard. <laughs> now, but shouldn't it say no, Costin? There's no... No, Midsummer's the county. Okay. There's no investigations listed on this board. No, just a reminder to turn in your overtime sheets. By the 25th. Yes. And also, the car park will be left clear on the 10th and 11th due to resurfacing. That's important. Yes. <laughs> and there's a guy writing on it, but he's just scribbling. <laughs> either either he's just scribbling little doodly lines to make it look like writing, or he's writing so small that no one would ever be able to read it. <laughs> And, yep, yep, and it it is the second whiteboard where we have people writing on whiteboards in the background. Yeah. It's like the director likes that. <laughs> now, when he talks about what's happening, which is two men came in at the auctioneers with a real bottle of wine plus a list of other wines. That they wanted a price for. That matched the fake labels yeah that are on there right so they buy one authentic bottle of wine yes that they just so happen to pick up as an example in the one, cellar two three four, four. yeah <laughs> it's the fourth one down in the rack yes um and then scott has some sheets right because he has paper yeah he yeah. currently priced out what those wines he looked would up be. the other names yes that had been referenced with the auctioneer. And he looks them up on a website called WineBid. Okay. Which I was like, oh. It's like eBay for wine? It's a website. Maybe I can get this domain also. <laughs> <laughs> Don't buy WineBid. No, WineBid is a thriving organization. Okay. Right? I put in the same search terms he did. <laughs> And got some of the very same places. I can imagine that businesses that sell antique wine if stick you, around. If you stop on that, those sheets, you can find people's real names and addresses. They're, they're legible? Yep, they are legible in both the U.S. and the U.K. Right, because there are representatives who will sell your wine collection for you. Yes. You don't sell it yourself. No. Right? No, but... It, it, it is a crossover to the real world there. Can we go back to Bernie? Okay. Because I, I forgot to tell you something awesome. Oh, there's lots awesome with Bernie. Bernie is played by Sarah Kestelman. Okay. Now, you found out from the magazine that she was in Zardoz. If you haven't seen Zardoz, stop. Just Google it. Right C-A-R-D-O-Z. <laughs> it's Sean Connery in basically a jockstrap the whole movie. With a ponytail. And knee-high fur boots. And a gun. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, if you're familiar at all with Barbarella, it's the male version of Barbarella. Yeah, an apocalyptic flying head, too, remember? Oh, yeah. There's a giant flying head. That's in that true, yeah. yeah. So she plays like a priestess kind of role. Does she appear nude? Because most of the women in the movie appear No, because she's like a priestess. She's okay. like a nun. She okay. has like a... A, like a, a red habit, like oh, a head yeah. scarf. And yeah, I've seen Zardoz. Like basically a only of her times. face is exposed. Yeah. But that's not Sarah Kestelman's best role. Okay. And by best, I mean my definition of <laughs> <Yes>. best. <laughs> what else has she been in? Brace yourself. Okay. Okay. She was in Lists of Mania. 
Okay, Lissomania is fantastic. It's L-I-S-Z-T, as in Franz Liszt. Yes, so this is... Starring Peter Daltrey, directed by Ken Russell. This is a Ken Russell movie. Now, as as we said on the podcast before, in high school, I had a bit of a Ken Russell thing. Now, I've never seen this movie, but I did some image searching. (laughs) So, Ken Russell... I'm scarred. Ken Russell, the devil's... Tommy, Listomania, Willair the White Worm, uh, several... Freaky, scarring movies (laughs) that you will never get out of your brain. Listomania includes Peter Daltrey riding a 10-foot penis. Is it Roger Daltrey? Roger Daltrey, sorry. Not Peter Daltrey. No, but... um, So Roger Daltrey is the lead singer of The Who. Yes. And then there's the other guy in The Who. Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend. Who's also in it. it yes. Sorry. Well, I also liked The Who in high school. So, yes, when I could see Listomania for the first time in high school, I... Jumping saw, Jehoshaphat. I, this movie is like an acid dream. Now, is, I don't know what that... I imagine... I've never taken acid, but I imagine this movie would make sense to you if you were on a ton of drugs. And <laughs> and Ken Russell is... is He's known for a number of things. Hallucinogenic, nightmarish movie scenes. Right. He's well known for rock opera. He did Tommy. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's also very well known for doing movies about classical musicians, particularly composers. Yeah. But in weird ways. And Listomania is one of these. Sarah Kestelman. Yes. Sarah Kestelman plays Princess Caroline, Ooh. who is, as far as I can tell, dressed kind of like a burlesque dancer the whole thing oh yes except she has like a group of backup dancers that sort of look like nazi burlesque dancers yep and spends a lot of her scenes reclining in a giant mouth yeah i i I remember this now (laughs) uh we'll link to a few of the images and then you'll go that's bernie if you if you Want to take a walk on the wild side? This to me is definitely a place to go. But we are not responsible for the damage that it does no. to you. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. I've seen enough pictures. I know to protect myself from this movie. As far as I know, there's never been a Ken Russell Film Festival. And I think there's a reason. You wonder why. You don't have to wonder why. There, there was one picture I found that um, Sarah Kestelman is in. Her character is in this photo, which is the only reason I looked at this photo, where Roger Daltrey, um, as List, is yes. standing drinking water that is shooting out of the breasts of a statue. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that part, too. Yeah. And then there's the giant penis that he rides around. And I, I f- don't I'm understand. Sure. Well, it's not historically accurate. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's not a biopic about List. No, it is a fever dream. I didn't want to miss that. Yeah. I didn't want to forget to mention that. (laughs) And Lucy Russell, who plays Felicity Turner, was in Christopher Nolan's first movie, The Following. The Following. She's the main female lead in that movie. It's a black and white movie. About a guy who gets followed. No, about he's a writer and he follows people to gather material about them. And then he follows the wrong guy who's a thief. Yeah, that's right. And he right. teaches him to be a thief and he breaks into her apartment and learns all about her and stalks her. Oh. Okay. She's just called the blonde. The blonde. I thought at first, oh, she must have a small part. No, no, no. And it's written by Christopher Nolan's brother. Yeah. I think. 
Yeah, who but, wrote Memento too? Yeah, but not as weird as Listomania. No, nothing's as weird as Listomania. Oh, there's lots weird. <laughs> we haven't even got into Fellini. <laughs> at the cop shop, there's two calls at once. One that Jane's in the front office, mm-hmm. and then one that Antonia has found the cellar. Right. And Jane just wants to say, say, hey, I saw Felicity talking on her phone and she looked kind of happy. Yeah. And then it was clearly an act that she was sad. Yes. And that's the last time we see Jane, except yep. for when she opens the door. Right. And the last time we see Bernie. Yep. Antonia goes looking for the cellar in the outbuildings because she sees Mike and Otto walking out of them one night, late at Which night. Which would be crazy creepy. Creepy. Especially considering her husband is missing. Mostly my notes say, what is that coat? Little do you know at that point that underneath that crazy coat is that crazy sweater. Because she takes the coat off because they go into where the cellar is. Right. Now there's a giant problem here. Okay. Right. So they go downstairs in the cellar. They find the empty wine cellar with evidence in it that there's been some sort of scam. Mm-hmm. And the door gets slammed shut. Mm-hmm. We don't know how that door gets slammed shut. And the door opens into the room. Yeah. So whoever locked it would have had to reach in, grab the knob, pull it shut, and then put the key in the lock to prevent them from being able to pick it. Yep. And we hear the lock being turned. Mm -hmm. I double checked that the second time we went. I think it's easy to explain. It's Felicity. You think so? Yeah. She lives right there in the house. I guess so. She she saw them go in there. She knew they were going to find it. She snuck down there and locked him in. Well, it's because so that Nick she, is doing his arts and crafts. So that she and Nick could make a run for it. <laughs> Stop. Why is he doing his arts and crafts with his scuba mask on? I don't know. But when you lock the cops in the cellar, that's when the killers should make a run for it. But they don't. No, 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 no. no they no. use an entire night to set up an elaborate murder. Arts and crafts. And then just hang out. Yes. We laugh. But there's a scene... We're intercut with this, where Nick, we learn later, is cutting a wetsuit and building this prop television. Yes. And breathing so heavily, it's creepy. Yes. Like, why is he breathing so heavily? I don't know. He's not in the scuba suit. No. He's not underwater. Like, he has on thick leather gloves. I understand not wanting to get your fingerprints on it. It's an elaborate thing. There's no way you could clean your fingerprints off of it everywhere. That requires planning. Things they forget to do later on. Yeah. So he, assumingly, takes the innards out of this old TV. Yeah. Cuts a hole in the bottom. Well, there's two TVs, right? Yeah. Okay. So he lines it with a gasket, like a rubber gasket that he then attaches to the top of a scuba suit for no reason at all. I don't understand. Because they don't even put it on, Mike. It's just sitting there on his shoulders. Yeah. Then the vents in the back of the TV, he fills with silicone caulk. Yes. Which might make it watertight. Maybe. Sort of. And he caulks the screen. Okay. At the front. So here's the biggest problem I have with this murder. And yes. I and I innovative killing methods in Midsummer make me happy. I like it. If I'm, I'm gonna like make that. a prop That's from awesome. any Midsummer, it's going to be this prop. Yes. But whoever came up with this idea doesn't really know how TVs work. No. Because that TV's old enough that it would have a great big picture tube. Yes. And the glass on the front of the TV would, would actually be the be, front of that tube. Would not be flat and square. No, it would be round. Yes. 
So, and nearly impossible. I watched a few too many YouTube videos. Yes. Of people turning old TVs into aquariums. Yes. And trying to maintain that curved glass on the front. Yes. By separating it from the rest of the picture tube, which yeah. looks like a great big light bulb sort of with yeah. a sort of flattened front. It's an electron gun yeah. if you want to be technical. You're so nerdy. I thought cathode, I was nerdy. It's a cathode ray tube. tube. Yes. Um, you can separate it, but uh, the guy I watched had to do it about seven times before he was successful. <laughs> <sighs> so we must assume that Nick takes the glass, the tube completely out of it and replaces the glass with another piece of glass. Where do you get the glass? I don't know. Picture frame. Where he got the lights. Yeah. And, and the generator. And then puts the whole thing on a, a pulley. Yeah. So he can lower it. Yeah. Onto him, it, it must be heavy. Well, I think the pulleys are there so that mics can sit up straight. Mm, so to support its weight. Yeah, because Mike would fall over instantly if he had to support the weight. And if he could fall over, he could pour the wine out. Or like smash it on the floor yeah. and then, you know. And maybe breathe. Yeah. But instead. No. He's duct taped to a chair, sits up straight. Yeah. And is videotaped. With another TV. Yes. Answering questions or not answering questions. And when he gets one wrong, Nick pours a bottle of wine into the TV tank until he can't breathe anymore. Okay. So this is how the wiki describes this murder. The wiki says, Mike Spicer knocked unconscious with a pan tied up and is with his head put in a modified TV set. Then he is recorded and forced to take part in a Q&A with each wrong answer resulting in the TV set being slowly filled with wine. Wrong answer being in quotation marks there. Eventually drowning him. The game was named Mike Spicer's Game for Your Life, a pun on the show Mike used to present called Mike Spicer's Game of Your Life. Now, the title for this is created on a Toshiba computer. Because we see the killer typing it in. <laughs> it beeps every time he presses a key. No keyboard or word processor ever does that. It would be the most annoying computer ever to use if it did that. <laughs> but I, I did notice that the killer then took the time to change it to the bloody lettering font. I have that font. It's called Gore. Gore. A lot of planning went into this murder. Meanwhile, Scott and Tro and Barnaby are in the white uh, wine cellar figuring everything out except for how to open the door. The, the, the How way would you have opened the door? They use a, a shiv basically to whittle away at the wood frame that the door lock goes into. Okay. I'm going to pull my old guy card. Mm -hmm. Okay. The way I would have gotten through that door is I would have had Scott throw his body against it until it opened. <laughs> but it because, opens in. No, no, no. Like, like if he, if he say he put light on the floor, right, right in front of the door mm -hmm. and put his feet up against the door, he could have pushed some of those planks out or st stomped some of those planks out. I absolutely believe that. I think they should have taken the bench that Antonia sleeps on and rammed it. That's another way they could have done it. It was a big, heavy thing. They could yep. have swung it together. Yep. Because you're right. It's made out of vertical planks with cross beams. The vertical planks are on the outside of the door, yep. so they could have knocked them away from the could door. Could have knocked them away pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Yep. Instead, they do art carving. And 
stop and pause a lot to talk about it. Meanwhile, it's Joy- eight in the morning. Meanwhile, Joyce is having a blast at the dinner dance. With Mr. Toothy McToothface. Oh my God, that guy's teeth are fantastic. Wow. Joyce doesn't care. I don't like that. Joyce should be upset. She should at least be worried. I would have thought that she would have called the station house and said, hey, do you know where Tom is? No, we have no idea either. And we don't care either. We're having a dinner dance too. <laughs> and then goes home and goes to bed. The, 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 the going to the dinner dance, Toothy McTootherson, that's all fine. Okay, I'm absolutely okay with that. But if at the end of the night, Tom hadn't been there or called her, she would be out looking for him. Or at least calling the station house. At least. Who would have then realized that Tom and Scott were missing and would have been looking for them. Yes. And the last two people who talked to them, Jane, oh, these cars are here. (laughs) (laughs) And Antonia is also missing. Like, let's go to Antonia's house. They would have found the, the seller. I'm with you. I think that Joyce going to the dinner dance alone and having fun is perfectly fine. Yep. But the fact that she did not call the station house when she got home meant that they had to stay in that cellar all night. Yeah. It's her fault. It's Joyce's fault. the cops don't know that they're missing. Well, also, she had that wetsuit to cut up. <laughs> well, she did loan... Nick, her glue gun. Yes. So that he could kill her scissors. Cock up the, you know. (laughs) They get out with Jane's help. They've spent 12 hours there, apparently peeing in the corner. (laughs) We're not. Okay, we're not talking about this because (laughs) Barnaby P is something I'm not not ready to discuss Barnaby P. Antonia's just like, well, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm not going to offer to help or anything. I'm just going to go to sleep. Yep. I'm just a wifey. So what we come to find out is that Otto, Mike, and Nick were in on the whole wine debacle together. They got Jack to pitch in 150K. Now, the next morning when they get out of the cellar is when Mike is killed. Mike sleeps while the killer sets up the thing. Because he's been drugged. Yep. So he sleeps hard. Yep. And when he gets up in the morning, that's when they do it. That's when he kills him. So sometimes videotaping the whole thing and showing his own face. Yes. Uh, uh, there's a lot that happens that morning. And then it takes forever to get to Mike Spicer's. They have to make three phone calls before they get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. It's Nick who borrows the 150 K. Yes. Or embezzles the 150 K. Yes. Cause Nick and Felicity are the ones getting revenge. Yes. And I guess they're going to recoup the money by claiming his insurance, by pretending that it's him that's dead. But still, like, okay, I have killed. Can you claim life insurance if somebody commits suicide? No, you can't. Okay. So I've killed Otto. I've killed Mike. Mm -hmm. I've killed Jack in in elaborate schemes. Mm -hmm. All of them. Mm -hmm. I've worked on planning. I've made these personal, their revenge killing. Right. I have no plan of escape. (laughs) His best plan is to take the videotape that features his face killing somebody back to his in-laws old house and to watch it with his wife while like having a snack, cuddled up on the couch. Yeah. They're cuddly in a weird way there too. The fact that they watch him die and giggle about it means that they are psychopaths. Now, when they show Mike Spicer dead, who he does a pretty good dead body there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they have a wine sort of screen in front of him. 
Like there's so a they little, have a sandwiched piece of glass, and they've put wine in between the two sheets of glass to look like he's in it, but he's behind it. Yes. Yeah. So so that's how they did that. Mm-hmm. And they figure out that they're at the other house, and they break in. Barnaby and Scott break in and basically say, you know, gigs up. You're nicked. Which they would have known a long time ago if they had just checked Felicity's phone records when Jane told them who that she was giggling on the phone because they would have seen he was, she was calling her parents' house even I, though they're dead. And also Nick would have had to drive around. Oh my gosh, she would have been all and over the place. Some people would have said seen, seen him. Including hauling those lights and machine from the cricket pitch to Otto's house. Does Mike, uh, does Mike Spicer not have neighbors? I guess not. Or they don't like him enough to pay any attention to what's going on in his house. And plus like, okay, there's no car outside of Mike Spicer's house. Right. So how does Nick get the following two TVs, a video camera, a tripod, a microphone? Cause the microphone on that camera would not have picked up the audio like that. A scuba suit. Scuba suit. <laughs> He uses, he uses Mike's wine because there's wine racks over by the pink penguin yeah. that are full of wine and then they're empty. But, okay. That's not nearly as challenging as Otto's death. No, no. That's the one I don't they're understand. They're both challenging. But he puts the pulleys in Mike's ceiling He puts he, in the exposed beams. Like, how does he know he's going to hit a stud there? <laughs> well, a beam is made of wood, honey. No, no, but. So it is a stud. If it is exposed beams. He puts them there, but what if there's no exposed beam there? I assume he's been in that house before. I would think so. But he would have needed a drill. Yeah. To drill a pilot <laughs> hole to turn that eye bolt into that. And how dare you just just twist an eye be- an eye bolt into an exposed beam in a historic home? I mean, come on. There's- That's the worst crime of all. <laughs> woodwork crime. <sighs> historic woodwork crime. And exposed the, the, beams are to be precious. To a be lot treasured. of thought, a lot of revenge. They don't get any money. Not yet. They only get money from his life insurance. I assume if they rule it a murder, which they're not going to do for a long time because there would need to be an inquest and all kinds of stuff before they would say, yes, it was a murder. So yes, you can collect life insurance. It would be years before they got the money. And they're going to figure it out. It's Jack long before then. They're certainly not going to recoup any money from the wine. No. All so much. And then they just sit around in Coston laughing at the video. Yeah. They are crazy people. Yeah. Crazy people. Never mind that they have, that Jack does this whole thing of, well, I'm going to take the wine to be sold to a private collector. I'm going to put it in this van then they pretend he runs off the road. They blow the van up. He puts food coloring on his head. Anybody. Okay. So there would have had to have been, there was an explosion. There would have had to have been an investigation of the accident. They would have just said, oh, he ran off the road because there was some oil. And they would have found out that the gas tank was open and that there was a, a piece of material in there. I absolutely believe that fire investigators would have known that that van was blown up on purpose. Second of all, any EMT that arrives on the scene is like, what is this? This is food coloring, not blood. (laughs) Hey, don't lick my forehead. (laughs) That's a creepy EMT. (laughs) It's ketchup. So all of that would have been problematic. But the biggest problem with the accident 
and we've talked about this before, is the first time that we're called out to the the house, Barnaby would have known that Jack and Nick were involved in an accident with Mike Spicer. They would have at least known that Nick had been involved because yep. he must have rented that van. At right? the very least. And there would have been emergency services called to the scene, which and means there would Jane have been a report. tells them about the accident. Yeah. And then they are like, oh, whatever. Accident. That can't be relevant. Like a real investigator would have investigated Bernie's accident and found out about that. <laughs> that the horse was in on it? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's just like, like. They would have looked into the background. When of everybody he says, completely. when they go to the, the pub night, this, he says he's doing background information. It's all the wrong background information. And all of these people would have had their record, their phone records pulled. Well, the episode ends before the worst crime actually occurs. Yes. Do you know what the worst crime is? What is the worst crime? Joyce is going to make curry. Yeah. That's a monkey with a gun situation. So. You don't let <laughs> Joyce make curry. The magazine has a curry recipe in it, which includes yogurt. It better. And uh, tomatoes and almonds. And I got to say, I don't like the way it's, it's Rohan Josh. Tomatoes, yeah, but almonds, I'm not so sure about. Medium strength curry includes yogurt, like the one Joyce plans to make. (laughs) Sweet Jesus. Even the best made curry can be a little much on your system. She cannot, cannot make that curry. You're having curry tonight, sir. Yeah, I guess I got to get the yogurt. Tom's face. The other crime that we didn't talk about was the tininess of that catapult. <laughs> and the magazine says, actually, the first catapult they tried to get was only six inches big. You can't put wine in that catapult. Like, did somebody um, misconstrue the hash marks? Like, they, uh, like, like there, were, there were two instead of one, so I, they thought I, it was six inches it, instead it, of six feet? It was a uh, spinal tap incident. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I just wish there was footage of that. Yeah. Like, oh, a catapult's been delivered, sir. Oh, great, great. Wait a minute. It's on your desk. No, they, they, huh? they said they found it on the internet and there were pictures and that that's, that's how they got, they realized that was wrong. But that catapult is still teeny tiny. I think it's big enough. But no Romans would actually use no, it. No, 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 no. It's obviously a very scaled down version, but it's big enough that Otto would have been happy with it. Yeah, and I guess. And it's big enough to fling some wine. But he is a full-size chariot. Why doesn't he have a full-size? Because it would take up the entire yard. I guess. A realistic catapult would be like, the base of it would be like 10 feet by 20 feet. Okay. Who's the best corpse? I say the best corpse of the episode is the, the body that they fling over the side <laughs> of the building that hits, hits the... The recreation of Jack's murder. Yeah, the recreation of Jack's that murder. That poor mannequin that bounces yeah. off of the... They must have shot that and went, oh yeah, we're keeping that one. Yeah, we're keeping that. <laughs> Wait a minute, his, Add head a sound the, effect there. Yeah, his head hit the thing. Oh, no, that makes it better. Yeah. We should keep that Oof. one. Yeah. I agree with you because we don't really see Otto's body really. No. Mike, I mean, he just, he looks like his head's floating It's kind of cartoony. He's like, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. It's Jack. Yeah. So let's talk about after the credits. Okay. Antonia has no husband and her entire life has been a lie. Yeah. Well, she always, I think she knew her, her husband was kind of a jerk. I guess so. But 
she's left with nothing. She has no form of support, no money, because you know Jack was probably leveraged to the hilt. Basically, also. her best friend killed her husband. Yeah. So she doesn't have that anymore. No, Bernie is quite happy, though. I think Bernie's fine. <laughs> I think Jane's fine. I think Steve and Sarah are fine. Uh, Steve and Sarah are uh, have realized that they've been taken advantage of because they stay at Sarah's house and use Steve and Sarah's and use them as an alibi too. Yeah, and they use him to to as witnesses. Yeah. So Nick and Felicity are going to jail or yeah. the loony bin. I don't know which. Yeah. Jane has to come to terms though that she was in love with a serial killer in Nick Turner. Mm, that's true because they definitely are serial killers. Yes, they are serial killers. They. 150 grand is going to be upsetting, okay? But it's not enough. It's not enough to make you the most theatrical killer in the history of Midsummer. No. Not when the the 150 grand wouldn't have even been available if he hadn't already committed a crime embezzling it. Yeah. And then embezzled it just so he could be part of another crime. Like, he did that to himself. Yes, they took advantage of him the whole time, but... I mean, he, he bought into it. The other he part. He volunteered. The other part of after the credits that we haven't talked about is Jeff Martin's sucky job right now. Jeff Martin has to explain to customers that this guy embezzled money and then became a serial killer. Jeff Martin is Nick's business partner. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Henderson. Uh, I thought I'd give you a call. You might have noticed the balance of your account's a little low. A little low. Um, Nick did it. And you you may have noticed (laughs) Nick's name in the paper. (laughs) Well, because of that. (laughs) Well, they must be very successful because until he looked into it, he didn't even notice the money was gone. Yeah. So if they're dealing with such big amounts that he doesn't notice that, I think they're all right. You know, I haven't had lunch, right? So I'm feeling kind of peckish. Maybe some relish. <sighs> Hidden Depths is so great. But it's followed up but by it's just sauce the first. for the goose. It's just the first of a couple of, they did what episodes? Yeah. <laughs> sauce for the goose. Has, oh, it's the relish and the oh, bird watching and the, oh, it's so great. So many, <laughs> so many good things in Sauce for the Goose. The children that are horrible. And I, I want to ask our listeners a question, especially UK listeners who might know a bit more about this, because this is something I've always wondered about that episode. And I want to ask in advance. Okay. Hoping that we'll get some hints. I'll put this in the show notes. The relish they refer to, is it really chutney? Is that what it is? Yeah. Because when we say relish, it's usually chopped up pickles. So it's chopped up pickles. But I know that it's green. It's like neon green. Yeah, in the U.S. And it comes that's in, a relish. Set. In, in, in in North America it comes in a set. There's ketchup, mustard, and relish. Right, because that's what you put on a hot dog. That's what you put on a hot dog. Right. right. But I know that relish is. It can be lots of things. Obviously, I've made other kinds of relish. Like I've made like onion sun, relish, sun dried tomato relish, yeah. and onion but relish. But I think and, what this company makes is is what we would call a chutney. I wonder what the, the actual definition of relish is. We'll have to look we'll it up. We'll look into that. Yeah. But I want to know. So if I want to know if people recommend we try brown sauce or if it's overrated and actually kind of nasty. Is it like the Marmite of sauces? Yep. And if there is a brand of relish 
that is close to what they must be making. Yeah. What what it is it and what it is. should we try it? I forgot the old lady sees the guy hanging from the tree all the time too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, oh, that's such a great episode. Sauce for the goose. Keep it for next week, baby. Yep. All right. Until then, bye maniacs. Bye maniacs. But she's not moving. It's not like she's moving into the camera no. and away from the camera. No, it's not. It's not 3D house of pancakes, no. you know, no. fel- felicity. It's just, it's just not best day of work for the focus <laughs> puller here.